We uh, were at the Awaken weekend last week, which is why there's a hundred or so people missing from church. Uh, but it was amazing. Uh, let me give you a quote from uh, Lynn Bernhope, who spoke. She said, we may never be Mary. She was talking about Mary and, uh, and leadership. We may never be Mary and birth the Christ, but if we say no to our callings, then there are spiritual babies that won't be born and people who won't be raised up. I quite like that. That was good. Uh, and, and actually, do you know what? We had a, a wonderful time, and someone uh, wrote us a letter. You don't always get kind of feedback from these things. People just say they had a nice time. But someone took the time to write us a letter. I love this. This is great. He said, you just wanted to write and say thank you. We had a great time at the weekend away. <clears throat> she said, um, I've struggled to make new friends in the church and realized that over the weekend, that's just simply not enough to come along to a service on a Sunday. I need to, that's what Sarah was just saying. I need to play an active part in this community if I want to be part of it. I was talking to Sarah, I see why she said that now, <laughs> about the women's weekend away at home and, she, and offered to help. And in turn, she introduced me to someone else who's also helping. Um, my mindset really shifted this weekend. Instead of thinking about what I can get out of church, I'm looking at how I can help. It's hard sometimes to quantify the impact that weekends like this can have, but it changed me, challenged me, and taught me. How cool was that? That's such a great kind of letter. We really appreciate that. Um, it was a really good weekend away. And just to echo what Sarah said, you know, if you're feeling disconnected, if you're just visiting, you know, join a connect group, join a team. Uh, it would be really good to see you as part of what's going on here rather than just visiting. But Sarah's already said all that. So today, we are starting a brand new series um, for Easter. So I'm speaking. Next week, Sarah Garande is speaking which is incredibly exciting. I'm sorry you have to wait another whole week for that. Uh, it will be worth the wait, though. Um, but Easter, for us and for, you know, for everyone, is a reminder of the time when Jesus came and he tackled death to the floor and rose back to life. It's time where he conquered everything that holds us back. And he can, we can choose to follow him. When we choose to follow him, we come to life in him. And that's what we kind of want to be talking about over the next few weeks is how we can choose life. You know, some of us are not feeling very alive right now. Some of us are feeling pretty alone, overwhelmed, hurting. Some are feeling numb or apathetic. But, you know, Jesus actually promises. He said he invites us to life. And as I said, that's really what we want to start to be talking about. But let me ask you a question to start with. I mean, what is the life? You know, for some of you, you've had friends that have flown off for the Easter holidays to go on a nice holiday, um, and uh, they're currently lying on a beach. Now, you know this because they've Instagrammed it. Despite the fact they're in the middle of nowhere and there's no internet for miles, they've somehow still been able to Instagram it for you. Isn't that polite? And they're sitting there, drinking their drink, soaking up the sunshine. Some of you are kind of wandering off into a different place. <laughs> And they're just having a wonderful time. And you can almost hear them saying those words, ah, this is the life. This is the life. You know, that may be the life for some of you, but what is the life for all of you? When you say, what, this is the life, what comes to your mind? Is it that lying on a beach in a Greek island and, you know, sipping pina coladas? Is it flying first class? Or maybe even owning your own private jet? High aspirations for some of us. Maybe the life for you is a little bit more modest. Maybe it's a comfortable home with a lovely, smiling, perfect, Instagrammable family. <laughs> Kanye has an alternative take on this. Uh, unfortunately, his lyrics are not Sunday morning friendly, but I'll give you a hint. He hasn't heard Dennis's talk on friends with boundaries. 
Some of you got that. Most of us imagine a good life as one where our lives are Instagrammable at any moment whatsoever. It's all about joy, it's all about excitement. We're not missing out on a single thing. But most of us know also deep down inside that that's gotta be unachievable. I saw something on Facebook this week and it was a, a father for his daughter, you know, with Beauty and the Beast come out. He took her and, and took, he's a photographer, he took her to this stage set and he gave her all the gowns and he basically let her act out the entire movie. And in doing so, he took loads of fantastic shots. And this is all on, uh, on that Facebook video. And then it adds to the extra detail, the fact that he you know, went to these different castles and took loads of um, images of those places and put them all together. And, you know, and then he, you know, as I said, he got all the beautiful dresses. I mean, he went all the way out. And I, I love that video. It's such a beautiful thing. Until you get to the end. And at the end, it says, give that man a Father of the Year award. I'm like, come on, that's so unrealistic. I could never compete with that. That's gotta be unachievable as a goal. And I think the problem is, is that even if you can do that, even if you have the ability to have the finances, have the freedom to go and do whatever you want. I've read so many countless articles of people who are rich, who are famous, who seem like they're having the perfect life. But when you hear them interviewed, you can discover it's actually the complete opposite. Do you remember Will Young? Who remembers him? 2002, just so you know, when he won that pop idol. As a, yeah, kind of takes you back. But I, I remember reading an article, I had to dig it up again, but he said this in, a, in an article. He said, I was really insecure in work. I had low self-esteem, I thought I was useless. If I got a job, I wanted the next one. I never lived in the moment, I was always comparing. I thought if I get this house, this boyfriend, this car, I'll be content. And then he says, buying a Ferrari doesn't bring you happiness. I mean, who knew that? That's ridiculous. There's crazy things that rich people say. Do you know, even when you have all your needs met, the law of diminishing returns kind of works against you and kicks in. The reason is too much of a good thing. I mean, that fourth slice of cake just wasn't as satisfying as the first three. You know, a survey of a whole bunch of people with over a billion dollars of worth, when they measured their happiness, it was only slightly, marginally above the happiness level of an average person. And then how about the idea that the more sex and the more sexual partners you have will make you happier? Do you know, 1,600 people were surveyed in this, um, in this survey to, and asked to count how many partners they'd had and how happy they are. And when the survey results come back, do you know what the number of partners that brings the greatest happiness was? One. The idea of loving and receiving love from just one person, to know that they're there for you, that you're secure, that you can never fail, was the thing that topped all other dreams and desires. So that life, the life, doesn't really work for everyone. So maybe there's something else we need to be aiming for. Jesus in John 10, 10 said this, I have come that you may have life to the full. Not just an Instagrammable life, but a rich and satisfying life, it says in the New Living Translation. King James says this, a life of abundance, or the message, a real and eternal life, more and better life than you'd ever dreamed of. You know, eternal life doesn't just mean that life goes on forever. No, eternal life means a high quality of life, a life of abundance, a life of richness. 
The definition of abundance is this, pertaining to that which is not easily or ordinarily encountered. An extraordinary life where people go, wow. It doesn't mean that you won't have troubles. It doesn't mean that things won't come your way. Family challenges, relationship breakdowns, business deals going bad. In fact, Jesus said those incredibly comforting words that I'm sure you've got written on your desk. In this world, you will have trouble. But then he says, take heart. I have overcome the world. It's because of how you respond in those situations that makes you different, that makes people look at you and go, wow, there's something different about that person. You know, eternal life isn't just the preservation of life, but the impartation of life. You know, Jesus came to give life in full. And that is no small claim. That's no small offer. But how can we obtain it? How can we choose it? To understand John 10, you kind of to look at the context. It follows on from where Jesus is trying to answer the question, who are you? To which he replies with this parable. And he says something along the lines of, unlike the thief who comes in to steal from the uh, sheep's in the, sorry, sneaks into the sheep pen. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The sheep listen for him. He calls them by name and then, he, and then leads them out. And the Pharisees just don't get it. They literally turn around to Jesus and say, we have no idea what you're talking about. It's comforting, isn't it? But then Jesus tries this again from verse nine. All who have come before me are thieves. I am the gate Whoever enters through me will be saved. They come in and go out and find pasture. The thief only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. You know, shepherd in the Bible actually refers to leaders. It's not just a religious leader, but it could be a, a king, it could be a political leader. It could be a, um, a government or official or commercial leader. Anyone who leads is referred to as a shepherd. And God calls himself our shepherd over a hundred times in the Bible. And kind of alongside of that, we human beings are called sheep around 400 times. I think God's trying to make a hint at something. Jesus is obviously using this metaphor to help us understand who God is to us and who we are to him. He is a shepherd and we are the sheep. Now, you've got to understand this. When Jesus calls us sheep, that is in no way a compliment. That is in no way something that builds us up. You know, sheep are not as clean and cuddly as we may think. They are pretty nasty animals. And this is one of the main metaphors for the human race. In other words, the Bible calls us sheep. It's actually insulting us. By coincidence, you know, my last talk actually involved the subject of sheep, so I've had a lot of research time looking into the lives of sheep. Let me just tell you a couple of things. First of all, sheep are on, constantly wandering away and getting lost. And why? Because they just wander off. They're not like cats or dogs. They don't have a sense of direction. They can't find their way home. They literally just get lost. And when they're found, they're so unbelievably stubborn. Even if it's the shepherd that comes to them and calls out, they will literally just run away to and fro, kind of in an absolute panic. And the only way to get sheep to come home is by tackling them to the ground, binding their legs, throwing them over your shoulder and bringing them home. <laughs> and what happens if they're not found? What happens if they're not brought home? 
You see all kinds of animals in the wild. You see cats, you see dogs, you even see chickens in the wild. But you never see sheep in the wild. Do you know why? Because left alone, sheep die. It's as simple as that. They don't go wild, they don't come home. They are just constantly getting hurt. They're constantly getting sick. And they have no ability to defend themselves. You kind of have to picture Melman from Madagascar movie if you want to know what this is like. If you give any other animal freedom, it kind of goes all Martin Luther King on you and goes, oh, this is amazing. Free at last, free at last. Thank the Lord Almighty I'm free at last. What does sheep do? Sheep turn around and say, where the heck am I? And where's my dinner? They're talking about dinner, and this is the funniest thing. Sheep need to be led to pastures. And I'll tell you why, because they cannot seem to feed themselves. I mean, seriously, they're unable to find decent food to eat. They're kind of like students, or like me, really. They will just eat anything that's edible in front of them, even if it's terrible for them. But if you don't move them, they will just carry on eating. Now, if you've got common sense, if you're eating some grass, you kind of stop a little bit towards the bottom, and then you move on, so let that grow back up. Not sheep. Sheep carry on eating and eating and eating until there's nothing left but mud. And then do you know what they do? They just stand there and they starve to death. I'm serious, that's exactly what they do. Sheep are fairly useless and they're fairly helpless and they're fairly foolish by nature. It is an absolute miracle they haven't gone extinct. And this is the picture of the human race. You know, obviously this metaphor only goes so far, but we're not completely like sheep, but spiritually we are. You know, never mind the wandering away for God or the stubbornness. Left alone, we literally have no ability to defend our minds or heal our souls. And oh, how we love the idea of spiritual freedom. And we love the idea of going and doing whatever we want, but just a few bad months and how quickly we come back to church complaining that we're not getting fed. And while we stuff ourselves with spiritual garbage, we get from everywhere else, and when that doesn't work, we just stand in the mud and die. I mean, how many of you are sitting in a job right now that you're just, all the joy has left, but you lack the courage to change things or do anything about it or find a new one? How many of us are in destructive relationships that you can't pull yourself away from them? How many of you are feeling distant from God? but you haven't really got around to reading the Bible or praying just yet. You've eaten all the way to the mud and you're just starving and dying on the inside. We are spiritually foolish. We are spiritually helpless. We need a shepherd to lead us to good pastures. You know, we need someone to save us. It says this in John 10, 9, I am the gate, whoever enters through me will be saved. I mean, saved from What? And John 10.10 tells us, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Who's it talking about? It refers to anything or anybody who steps into our life to steal, kill, or destroy it. Anyone who has, I mean, I'll ask you a question. Who has the greatest capacity to derail your life? Because that person is a thief. Who has the greatest capacity to steal your future from you, to kill a relationship, to destroy your life? It's that person you see every single day in the mirror. It's you. You have more potential in your life to destroy than anyone else. Many of you have read this and thought that was the devil, the thief is talking about the devil. 
But I'm fairly sure that the devil has left many of us alone because we're doing an absolutely fine job destroying our lives by ourselves. What do we say? We say, I am my own worst enemy. We have done more to undermine our life, to steal from it, to destroy it, to kill it, than anyone else has. And we have the potential to do even more damage than has been done so far. If you think about it, it was you. It was you who thought it. You watched it. You ate it, you drank it, you smoked it. It was you who texted it, you who dated it. It was you who slept with it. And for some of you, it was you who married it. We sometimes take this thing way too far and we don't realize how destructive we can be. We, you, are the common denominator for almost everything that goes wrong, for every part of your life. So do you believe me that we're like sheep now? Your response may be something along the lines of, holy sheep, I didn't realize we're so bad. (laughs) Thank you to John Tatton for that one. You know, you've got to relax though. I mean, all this is true, but it's not entirely your fault. You see, we've had a bad shepherd. We've had a bad shepherd called sin. Romans 6.12 says this, Therefore do not let sin reign, so that you obey its evil desires. You see, when sin reigns, it leads you to do stupid things. It leads you to bad places. Evil desires, to be fair, is not so much evil things or bad things for us, as opposed to, as one definition puts it, an excessive self-indulgent craving that displaces proper affection for God. It can be good things. There's a lot of things we do that are absolutely fine. But when you intensely desire them, and when you use them for the wrong reasons, it becomes sin. I said this last time I spoke, and it's a great phrase. Sin isn't about anything you do, but why you do anything. If you go to something, not just for enjoyment, not just for satisfaction, not because it's a good thing and a fun thing, but you go for comfort because you've had a bad day, or for affection because you feel unappreciated elsewhere, or for significance because you feel insignificance in other places, insignificant in other places. It has displaced our proper affections for God. It is sin, and sin leads you away from life. I mean, take alcohol, for example. I mean, by itself, we're friends. It seems like a really fun thing to do and nothing wrong with it. But it's a depressant. I mean, how does it give you that joy, that boldness, that enthusiasm, that vulnerability in life? It depresses your mind's ability to see reality. It dulls your understanding of reality. In other words, it helps you escape reality. Then you're no longer fully alive. And what starts as a glass or two might sound bad, but tell that to the two and a half million children who call a child helpline every single year because their parents have passed out on the couch and they just want someone to read them a bedtime story. I mean, that's a bit harsh, isn't it? We're not all like that. We don't all escape all the time. I mean, we're in control. I mean, no one's a workaholic, are they? I mean, you just love your job. I mean, that's why you take your laptop to bed to work on that report. I mean, that's why when you open your eyes first thing in the morning, you seem to be looking at your emails straight away. I mean, we're not, contr- we're not workaholics. It's just a hard-working attitude. It's, it's, just, it's not escaping. It's just what I love to do. You know, ask someone how they are five years ago, and they would have said, fine, and they left it at that. Now it's, I'm very busy, very busy, thanks, really tired. It's almost like we see business as a badge of importance. 
a mark of how hard we work and how that justifies our very existence. I mean, how many hours do you spend a day on social media? You know, you kind of go upstairs to the toilet for a wee and you come down an hour later. I mean, like 10 years ago, people would have asked you if you had a serious issue and asked if you should seek medical help. Nowadays, people just understand that it's me time because you're escaping. We all have them, places of escape. I don't know what yours is, but for me, it's TV. You know, I like you, I don't really have time to, you know, return everyone's call or to read more or to pray more. But you know, when I discovered Endeavor came out on Netflix, I managed to find 13 hours in one week to watch it. That's crazy. I have kids, I didn't even know how that was possible. Was that choosing life? No way, 13 hours. You know, one of the scenes, Detective Inspector Fred Thursday confronts a young Morse about this drinking issue that he has. And he says this great line, I love this line. He said, Morse, beer is a good friend, but it's a lousy master. I love that. You see, if you try and find your life in the bottle, if you try and find your life in the TV, if you try and find your life through love or through work, you end up losing it instead. You'll say, as long as I have this, I don't really need to see or feel what life is really like. Yes, I'm having a bad day, but I get to go home and do that. And that's going to be fine because that can come for me. That can take care of me. That can always make me feel better. But you see what you've done? Sin has led you into captivity. It reigns over you. It says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So it says, do not let sin reign. Now that's a great verse because it actually tells us there's a potential, there's a promise to not let sin reign. I mean, actually we can get control of this. And how do you stop sin reigning? How do you enjoy life to the full? Well, you have to start by accepting an insult. You have to admit that you're a sheep, a helpless, lost, standing in the mud, slowly starving to death, sheep in need of a shepherd. It's like someone gives you an exercise DVD and you go, oh, thank you so much. I've been noticing that chubbiness as well. I'm glad you have. This is really gonna help me. Or is someone turning around and saying, hey, here's a book for you, How to Make Friends and Influence People. Oh, thank you, I've really noticed how socially awkward I am, so this is really gonna help. You have to accept that insult that you're a sheep. You're a sheep, a helpless sheep starving in the mud. You need a shepherd. Your current shepherd of sin sucks, it's destroying your life, it's taking you to really bad places. We need a different shepherd. And if we're going to stay alive, we need a good shepherd. In fact, the good shepherd. The passage of John is a fulfillment of a prophecy in Ezekiel. And I love this kind of this passage because God comes to these existing shepherds who are overseeing Israel and they're doing a terrible job. I mean, they don't really care what's happened to the sheep. The sheep are wandering off and getting lost. The sheep are getting hurt and they're just being left to die. The sheep are sick and no one seems to care. It's all about them. And God comes and does this beautiful thing. He comes and judges them. He says, I'm fed up with the way you are treating my sheep. And then he says something utterly incredible. 
about the broken, the hurting sheep. He says this, and it's a prophecy, it's a promise of something to come. Ezekiel 34, 11, he says, for this is what the sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. I will rescue them from all the places that they were scattered. I will tend them to good pasture. pasture. There they will lie down in grazing land and there they will feed on rich pasture. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. I will shepherd the flock with justice. I mean, do you hear that? If you wander, if you get lost, if you get hurt, if you make a bad decision, you haven't got a God that's going to come after you and tell you off. You have a God that's going to come after you and say, you're sheep. I expected little else, but let me take you home. Let me help you. Let me heal you up. Let me bind you and bring you back to strength. Let me lead you to good pasture. Let me lead you to a place where you can thrive. Because we are sheep, we need a shepherd. Because sin is a bad shepherd, God says, I will come and I will shepherd my people. I will do it. John 10, 11 says this. He stands up to everyone who's listening and says, I am the good shepherd. Now, they would have known about this Ezekiel 34 passage. They would have known that Jesus was saying absolutely crazy, blasphemous stuff that he is God. And they would later, a few verses later, say they're going to stone him for that very thing. But he says, I am the same God who spoke through Ezekiel, and I have come to save my sheep. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. It goes on in verse 12, the hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he has hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. But I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and I, they know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father, I lay down my life for the sheep. He lays down his life for us. You know, this can also be read as he lays down his life instead of us. Jesus literally says, I will literally take your place. You chose sin as a shepherd and it utterly failed you. It, and it led you to death and at the first sign of trouble, it fled. You left it, it left you open to attack from the enemy, the real enemy. Sin is a lousy shepherd. It opened the door and said, just wander free, do whatever you want, have fun. But when you get lost, it didn't come looking for you. It just left you there, hopelessly abandoned. When you were hurting, rather than healing you, it said, oh, I don't know, have a drink. Why don't you go to that person for comfort instead? And when the enemy came to attack, it didn't care about you. It just fled away and leaving you to be utterly destroyed. Jesus is not that kind of shepherd. Jesus says, I stepped in. I became your gate. I didn't flee. I didn't run. I didn't abandon you, and nor will I ever do so. When the enemy came seeking me, seeking to tear you apart, I laid down my life for you. I got in the very way of that itself. I hung on a cross so you didn't have to. When they came to tear you apart, they tore me apart instead. This is what Easter's about. He replaces our bad, lousy shepherd that is sin, and he replaces him with a good shepherd, one who loves us and cares for us, one who longs to see the best things happen for us. 
One who takes care of us where we are, one who seeks us out when we're lost, and one who brings us home so we can feed on life itself. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Could the band come back up, please? This is why Psalm 23 is such a beautiful passage, a beautiful psalm. It says this, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows when I'm with you. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all of my days. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. When we choose Jesus as our shepherd, we choose life. When we choose sin, we may have fun, we may do good things, and not necessarily bad things. But when things happen, when things come into our life, they will destroy us because sin will run and leave you abandoned. Would you stand up, please? Jesus says, I want to be your good shepherd. Trust me, follow me, choose me. And I will lead you to life. I will lead you to good pastures. I will take care of you, heal you, nurse you, and release you into life itself. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I, I have come that you may have life in abundance, life to its fullness. For some of you, you're hurting, you're feeling abandoned. For some of you, you're left alone right now and you're wondering that thing that you thought comforted you just become an escape. And you're scared to step back into reality. You're afraid of Monday mornings. You're afraid of family time because it's overwhelming. It's insignificant in some places. You feel underappreciated. God is saying, I want to be your shepherd. Let me lead you to life. Today, he wants to be your shepherd. After the service, there's going to be a time to respond over there on my right, your left, where you can go and if you've never made that decision before, you can say, today, I want God to be my shepherd. I want him to lead me. I'm fed up with being led astray by things that only steal, kill, and destroy me. I want a new life. I want a life in abundance, a life in fullness. And I'll trust Jesus for that. Let's worship together.